1987 to 1990. Um, and then as the Lord took us over to Europe uh, to work in the Czech Republic, you all came around us. You encouraged us. You have been praying for us. You financially have been giving to us uh, over the years, and we're grateful. We're grateful that making Christ known, knowing him, making Christ known, is not only happening here in Iowa Falls, but you guys are working through us to be spreading that mission uh, through planning churches in the Czech Republic and in different places of Europe. And so we're grateful that you have been with us. Uh, just a little bit of the ministry that we've been doing is uh, we've been, as I said, working in Europe. And if you were to think of Europe and just superimpose the map of the United States upon that, all of Europe would fit within the United States. Although the population of Europe is about twice as much. U.S. population about 330 million and in Europe is about 700 million. And so the cities that we live in in Europe are very compact. They're very small. We don't have a lot of suburbs that are kind of sprawling, but rather the cities are much more older and, uh, and smaller. And so the place that we have been living is in the Czech Republic. And if you were here in the uh, Sunday school hour, we gave prizes to those people who could name the countries around the Czech Republic. Also, we used to be called the Czechoslovakia. Um, I don't know if we, uh, if you come up to my wife, especially if you're like 15 and younger, and you come up, let's say 18 and younger, okay? Come up to my wife and you can name at least one of those countries, she will give you a prize, okay? So we've been serving in a country that's about half the size of Iowa, uh, but three times the population. But in the last census, when people had an option of choosing whether they were Christian or Buddhist or Muslim or no faith, about 90% of the people said that they had, or I'm sorry, 70% of the people said that they had no faith, that they didn't identify with any religion whatsoever. And that may be a little bit misleading because as you sit and talk with people, there's a spiritual sense, a, spir a sense that there is a power that's bigger than us but because they haven't met anyone who's explained the gospel to them, because they've never had an opportunity to hear the gospel, they, they have no, they, they see Christianity as just being irrelevant. And so we're working in a country that is um, at times uh, very much uh, uh, against what, what Christians would be doing. At times they're tolerant. Um, People sometimes ask us, so Rich, is there, are there chances of wars or persecution? And I say, there's not government persecution that goes on. In fact, we are allowed to go into schools and to, at times, even, uh, I was invited with a pastor friend to go in and teach the Ten Commandments in a school because the schoolmaster said, hey, we don't have any ethics teachers or we don't have any moral code that we're living by, and so what, uh, would you come in and just teach the Ten Commandments? And so, opportunities like that, and so, the hardest part of ministry is often is that people, they're not even seeing or understanding that there is a God. They're not living in their day-by-day -day life that there is a God in heaven who pursues them. And so that's why our ministry has been focused upon training pastors, training small groups that have been um, planting churches or starting churches within the Czech Republic and then in different cities around Europe that the Free Church Mission has been working. And so we have different supporting churches from mainly from Iowa, 
that are praying and supporting us uh, so that we can go over and we can help to start new churches within places like Berlin or Prague or London or Paris. An interesting uh, new event is that just this, a few months ago, we started a new city team from our mission organization of San Francisco. And so we will have missionaries actually reach global free church missionaries that are being sent to San Francisco to begin working in church planting ministries, which is kind of a new bent for us as a mission to think of not just Europe and Africa and Asia and South America, but cities right here in the United States. And so as you think of, as I said, the, the culture in Europe, um, you can drive through the countryside and see many sites like this where there are old structures, churches that once had been a vibrant center of a community and now are dilapidated or just left because there's no longer a community there. Or maybe there's a large cathedral and there are people who would be um, wanting to, to visit this, but because of a concert or because it's a nice museum place or even situations where in the middle of a city square there may be this large church building that has just become, uh, because of disuse, no longer used and so it's falling down and the, the city is trying to decide what do we do with this church building? Um, do we tear it down? Do we, do we redo it? Do we spend millions of dollars to try to redo it and so in some situations they take a, a church like that and they turn it into a skate park which um, some people would say oh that's such a shame and yet uh, I would probably come from the perspective because the body of Christ Jesus is the one who lives in each one of us and we as the church are not composed in a building but we are in all of the places in our city, in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods. And that is the church. And yes, this is a wonderful place to be able to come together and to be together and, and, and have different programs. And yet, the real place where transformation is happening is because of relationships. It's because of people. This is a statistic from several years ago that just shows how... Uh, the percentage of people who pray every day versus the percentage of people who never pray. And so on the far left, you have countries such as Malaysia and Philippines and India. U.S., you notice, is number five. It's the fifth one who were people who said they pray every day. Now, I'm not sure who they pray to, and the, the statistics of this or the, uh, the research didn't show to what religion they belong to, but just that they prayed. And you notice on the far right, the country who is the lowest of people who pray every day is the Czech Republic. And so an interesting topic that, that says that basically Christianity, God, is just not very relevant to us. It doesn't have a, a part in our, daily, in our daily affairs. And so let me leave us or leave me with with a sense of, so, so what is ministry like in that culture? What is it like uh, as we're trying to just live out who Christ is, to have conversations about who God is and how he's working in our life? And, and sometimes some of those words are, are, are very 
are very uh, representative of, of how we feel. It's, it's hard soil or, or uh, there's tiredness or people aren't interested or even asking the question, is God working? Um, but I don't think this is something that just we in Europe or, or in other countries would, would face. You, you know, I, I think that is an incidence where all people in all countries, especially here in the U.S., where there's lots of busyness, there's lots of things to be able to take our time, um, good things, raising families, children growing older, going to school, school events. And, and we wonder sometimes, Lord, where are you working? Where are you working in my life? Where are you working in my neighbor's life? And sometimes the, the perspective that we may take of the people around us are they interested? Are they not interested? I don't think they're interested. I won't share with them. The very perspective that we have of the people around us determines how we will respond to them. All right? Whatever glasses or lenses or perspectives that we have on the world around us often dictates or conforms us into how we will respond to them. And there's a key truth that is equally applicable for European churches as well as U.S. churches, it's how we relate to the people around us is shaped by how we view them. And that's why, as we look into John 4 today in this passage, we're going to see that living from Jesus' view of the world calls me to enter into his harvest. We're going to look in John 4, and we're going to look to see how there were two perspectives of the world around them. The disciples' perspective and then the perspective that Jesus brought. And my encouragement to more, as we walk through this text and we look at the disciples' view, and then we looked at Jesus' view, is that I want to live more out of how Jesus views the people around us, how he views the world around us. But also I want us to be aware that the disciples, sometimes my view is a perspective that we sometimes fall into or it's, it's too easy to discount it as a default. So there's two views of the world, of the harvest field that's around us. You might classify them as, as one that's a hurried, anxious, kind of in-the-moment sort of view. And another view is one that you might describe as, as a trusting long-term, intentional, eternal view. I want us, friends, to be thinking about what it's like to build a view of the world around us that's trusting, that's intentional, that sees people through how God, how Jesus sees them. So, let's look first at, first of all, just looking at that default. that default view of where the disciples saw. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be working through John chapter 4 and not reading the entire text, but choosing some, some parts through the text. And so in verse 1, it says that, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, 
near the field that, was, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, about noontime, and his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The disciples' view. It was a long journey. This text tells us that they were traveling from Judea, which is in the far south part of Israel, and they were moving towards Galilee, which is to the north. Several days' walk. No buses, no Ubers, okay, no fast train that went. It was just walking on paths that were dirty and dusty and sometimes dangerous. It was a long journey. But not only was it a, a long journey, it was an unwelcome environment. Notice in verse 5, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Okay, so if you were to look in the back of your Bibles and you were to see the maps there, you would see that in between Judea and Galilee, there's a place called Samaria right in the middle. And Samaria, Samaria is made up of Samaritans. All right, I bet you didn't know that. Seeing if you're awake. All right. The thing with Samaritans, however, is that Samaritans for centuries had had a long-standing um, eth uh, ethnic and religious conflict with the Jews. Samaritans back in 600 B.C., so about 600 years before the time of Christ, had been that group of people that when King Nebuchadnezzar came and took Israelites out, some of the people stayed, but they ended up marrying with countries and with people from different religions. And so for centuries, the Samaritans were thought to be very much the enemies of Jews because they had a different way of worship. They had a different place that they worshipped. And so Jews, when they traveled from south to north, they would travel from the south, go across the Jordan, go a little bit, and then come back onto Israel and then go up into Galilee. Okay, so they went out of their way in order to not have to go through Samaria. Jesus went through Samaria. And it was an unwelcome environment. Not only that, we see in verse 6 that there was a need for rest. They got tired. It was, it was noontime. They needed a place to rest. And so they stopped to get a drink of water. The disciples' view continues. And he says, just then... In verse 27, his disciples came back from having gotten food, and, and they marveled that Jesus, he was talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him some, something to eat? And so the disciples' view is, in, as I said, it's that view that's, that's rushed. It's, it's kind of anxious. It's, I've got a lot of work to do. And there's this woman here, and, and Jesus is talking with her, and, and it's a woman, and it's midday, and what is she doing out here at the well when it's noontime, when there's no other women? And so they're a little suspicious of her, but they just, they don't even want to talk with her. There's often the, uh, the idea of undone work as well, that we, we, that we are or that the, the disciples struggled with. There was, there was, food, to there was uh, food to prepare. There was meals to prepare. Jesus, the rabbi, needed to eat something, and so they were concerned about his, his getting enough food and, and things like that. And they were oblivious to the things around them. 
disciples' view. But friends, that's, that's, that's sometimes my view as well. Um, friends, today, we live in often uncomfortable environments. We live in environments that aren't always welcoming to our views of, of marriage or views of what makes up a male, a female. We live with views of, of how we should be paying our taxes, how much we should be paying. We have conflicts with people in our culture about how life should be lived. What is the foundation for life? It's easy to kind of come up to, to stay the idea, look, I'll just, I'll just stay away from you if you just stay away from me, and I've got a lot of work to do. Um, I'm just trying to make it through life, just keep my head down. It's easy to just go through life and just, and just try to ignore the complications around us. I know. Uh, that's, that's, that's a very practical, it's a very understandable uh, way of living. And Jesus here doesn't shame the disciples. It's a way that we often, by default, fall into. Friend, view one is my view through my eyes. View one is a focus on my interests. Here's what I want us to pivot. I want us to take a look at how Jesus not only saw the people around him, but sees today the people around him. The first one is that Jesus sees a white harvest. Jesus sees a white harvest. In verse 28, so the woman left her water jar after Jesus had been talking to her for some time, they'd had a discussion, and I'd encourage you to go back and read this passage. Actually, if, if some of you are familiar with The Chosen uh, movie series or video series, there's a wonderful series that you can find uh, for free and watch to see the actions of Jesus or the life of Jesus played out in a very well-done fashion. And I love especially this episode on the woman at the well as we can see how Jesus interacts with her, how he interacts with his disciples. Um, but right now I'm, I'm pointing us to what uh, John is telling us. And Jesus has been talking to the woman and the woman left her water jar and he went away. She went into a town and she said to the people who were in the town, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. And if you remember in the text, Jesus pointed out, yes, you have had many husbands. In fact, the one you're living with now is not your husband. Jesus was trying to get into a discussion of heart situation, developing a relationship with her. And so she goes back to her town in verse 29 and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. And Jesus said in verse 35 to his disciples, Do not say, do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Friends, in verse 35, Jesus is referring when he says uh, uh, to the popular saying, when he says, do you not say that four months and then it will be harvest? He's referring to a saying that was in his time. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, we still have lots more time. Or today we would say, manana, manana, or, you know, I'll get to that. And yet, Jesus 
perspective of his situation is that now is the time when people are prepared to hear the gospel. And he's telling his disciples, right now, the harvest is ready to be reaped. And you're farmers here. You live in a farming community. You know that, that normal process of, of, of uh, corn or whatever it is going from green to golden. And then if you're, not many of you are wheat farmers, but it gets to a point where it's like, it is ready to fall off of the stalk. It is ready to, to be wasted because it is so prepared. And that's what Jesus is saying. These people around us are ready for spiritual connections. They're ready to hear the gospel. And that's Jesus' perspective of a white harvest. Friends, I don't consider myself to have being the, the gift of evangelism. I've taken various spiritual gifts, and I probably fall more into a teacher or shepherd uh, gifting. Um, but Paul encourages Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And I may not have that gift, and, uh, and yet... There's something in me, just in my pastoral work, in the missionary work that I do, I have a plan for, for, for reaching out and for just connecting with people. And I call it, I call it SALT, okay? Think of those letters, S-A-L-T. And it's very simple. I need something very simple, all right? And the first word, S, is just say something. So when I'm interacting with someone or I think, this could be an interesting conversation, possibly, the first thing that I say to myself is S, just say something. The A is ask a question. And so you put the conversation into theirs, and you're asking them a question about anything that comes to mind. The L is listen. Just listen to how they respond. Friends, one of the best ways we can serve people is just by listening to what they have to say. And then the T is take it deeper. So, salt. That, that's kind of my, my method of just potentially seeing, is this person open for a spiritual conversation? Is he not? Um, just a couple days ago, I had to be in the doctor, and I was having an image done of my leg, and um, the person who called me in, I could tell he had a little bit of an accent. And so I thought, okay, how am I going to start a conversation with this guy? I have no idea where he's at spiritually. And I don't even know if this is the context. But... I just want to be prepared to say something, okay? And I said, hey. And he said, uh, come in, you know, uh, got me prepared to do an image of my leg. And I said, really grateful for your work. Thank you. Uh, you're going to be a big help to me today. Um, and I said, uh, noticed your accent. You sound like you're Eastern European, maybe. And he goes, no, I'm from Bosnia. I grew up in Sarajevo. And, I mean, he didn't know that I'd spent a lot of time in Sarajevo. And he goes off and he starts telling me all about his city. And I don't know if you're familiar with what happened in Bosnia-Herzegovina in the mid-90s, but there was civil war and uh, a lot of war, a lot of people displaced, and still that country is really in economic shambles. Um, but he went on and on, and, um, and then he, he started talking about, uh, yeah, there's, there's Christians there, there's Muslims there, and they're all fighting. And, um, and then he was telling me about his journey that he came to America. And at one point, I just, I stopped and I asked him, so, so have you ever read the Bible? So I asked a question. I was trying to think of a question that's going to be kind of, that would maybe steer the conversation. 
And he said, yeah, I've, I've read the Bible, but there's so many different interpretations of it. And I really don't know because, you know, some denominations say this and some denominations say that. You know, who do you really believe? And I just listened to him. Just listened as he went on and he was telling me kind of his faith journey. I mean, this guy is imaging my leg, put the lube on my leg. I'm laying there and, and he's telling me his story. Um, but then he stopped for a moment and I just, I took it a, uh, a step deeper. And I just, I, I just said, hey, when I've read the Gospels, that have been so clear of who Jesus says he is. And that has probably been, for my life, one of the most impressive or, or changing things in my life is reading the Gospels to learn more about Jesus. Finished the exam. He, uh, he looked me in the eye and he said, this has been a really good conversation. And I'm like, I didn't really expect that. He said, most times people are just, they're wanting to fight and they're going to try to change my view. And uh, he said, you're not trying to, you've got your convictions, but, but, uh, but you listen so well. And so I don't know where he is on this spiritual journey. Pretty sure, probably not a, a follower of Jesus yet. And yet my goal really was to drop a seed, to take it deeper. But friends, and this is a sermon I need to hear often because, you know, going into the doctor, fear, how's this going to turn out? I could have just been stuck on my view, myself. And yet, excuse me, I'm having to preach this sermon on Sunday. And so I'm studying this. And it's like, oh, Lord, you want me to see from your perspective a white harvest, the potential that people are ready to hear, but you don't know where they're at. And so just try something, say something, ask a question, listen, be ready to take it deeper. Friends, that's a view, seeing the white harvest. I think there's a second view, is that Jesus says that it's a work of partnership. It's a work of partnership, that we are not in this by ourselves. Jesus said to them in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and the another reaps. So I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Friends, you are not alone in the harvesting work. That is a perspective that I'm wanting us to live more out of, out of that view of what Jesus says. It's a white harvest. But he also says that it's a work of partnership. A work of partnership. The first one is that God is, the first conviction that I have is that God is already working. God is doing something in the people of the lives around us. We say in, when we work with youth in, um, in some of the English clubs, we say, if ever one of the Czechs, and I was telling you a little bit about uh, the, the context they come out of, probably an atheist or where Christianity isn't very valid. If any of those young people ask questions like, you know, tell me some more about what's important in relationships. Or, I'm having this conflict with my parents. Or, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about what am I here for in life? God is working in that young man or that young woman's life. Because those are questions that just don't naturally come. I don't know who they have been in contact with previous to that. 
I don't know who the Lord is going to bring them in contact with after that, but I can count on this perspective is that God is working and he has put me into a network of other people who are working in that person's life. Um, when I asked uh, the, the gentleman who was doing the uh, exam of my leg, uh, that was one thing that I hoped that I would be able to do was to be able to leave a piece, leave a seed so that I don't know who he's going to meet in the future. I don't know if another pastor, missionary, he's going to be you know, doing another leg exam on in the near future, but they're going to ask a question, and he's going to be able to start putting things together. There is a God in heaven who is pursuing him. And that's, that's so encouraging. It's so encouraging to know that, that, that sometimes we sow, sometimes we sow a lot. Sometimes we, we tell the gospel. Sometimes we share with a neighbor. And somebody else may be the one who leads them to Christ. Someone else may be harvesting. And yet, Jesus here wants us to have the perspective that we are playing an important part in a team of workers. Jesus also talks about not only a wide harvest or a work of partnership, but a wave of gospel transformation. And in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two more days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Friends, many people believed because of this woman's testimony. And then they invited Jesus to come and to stay with them. And so he taught. They heard. And now their testimony was, he has changed us from the inside out. It's no longer just because of your testimony. Now I follow Jesus because of what I believe in him. A wave of transformation, of changing people's lives because of that one testimony. Susan shared the, the testimony of, uh, of Tomash. Tomash was a young man who started attending some of our English, um, actually Susan in, in our Sunday school class, uh, just telling the story of a, of a young man who had been attending our English clubs as a teenager and then began attending our family camps. Um, and at first, very, very off to the side, but he was interested in spiritual things. And um, just moving the, 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 the story quickly a little bit, um, over a period of years of, of uh, being involved in the camps, of being involved in Bible studies, uh, after one of the camps was wanting to be baptized because he wanted to demonstrate to his family, to his mother who was present, that he was now a follower of Jesus. But there were several people who had been sharing with Tomash uh, about Christ. He had been seeing it lived out in different ways in our different youth meetings. Friends, Jesus wants us to have a perspective that his gospel is powerful, more powerful than just what we are able to accomplish. That his gospel works through the lives of people that is able to change the lives of other people. This view too, the second view is through Jesus' eyes. It's the focus on his perspectives. Friends, in this passage, there's, 
there's three commands. Three commands only. And I just want to go over that with, with us because I, I feel like it's a, an important aspect for us to be able to, to follow. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Basically, that first word is just look. It's wake up. Move out of your daily life of just trying to make things work and trying to earn money and trying to keep your head above water. Jesus is saying, those things are good, but raise your eyes. Wake up to the white harvest that's around you. He says, not only look, he says, lift up your eyes. Get your eyes above just the daily stuff of what's going on. And I like Jesus doesn't like demean them. He doesn't say, you know, you guys are, this food and stuff, that doesn't matter, or, or taking a stop and getting a glass of water, that doesn't matter. Those are important things. Life, living life well are important. But what he's encouraging them is move beyond that. And that, friends, what I, I think the text today is, is, is telling us, it's, it's yes, those are all very important aspects of life, of, of activities that we're involved in, and yet he's asking us to have a perspective of the people that he has intentionally put around us. That is a white harvest. That, that, we, that there is spiritual fruit to be harvested right now. That there's a work of partnership. That you're not alone as you are sowing seed. And that there's a wave of gospel transformation. That the gospel multiplies beyond our efforts. Friends, this is, this is a decision that I think. And it's not a decision that just is happening today, this morning. It's something for me, and I know that as I was telling you, as I was started kind of preparing this sermon in the beginning of this week, end of last week, this text just began resonating in me, and it's like, oh, Rich, you are so, so caught up with good things in life. And yet Jesus is calling me to have this perspective that's from his eyes, that's focused on his important eternal values. He wants me to move from perspective one to perspective two. And that's kind of the final, the final question that I have in your, in your bulletins is what might happen if we were to see or speak or do from Jesus' perspective of the harvest? What might happen in your neighborhood? What might happen in your family? What might happen in your workplace? If we were to intentionally move from our perspective to Jesus' perspective of a white harvest, people prepared, of, of workers, we're not in this alone, and that the gospel, as we share the seeds of the gospel, it can go way beyond what we can imagine. That's something I want to continue doing. I'm uh, inviting you on that path with me, that challenge day by day. I appreciated how Jeremy is encouraging us to be thinking of praying daily and asking God's direction on, uh, on furthering the, the ministry of this church. I'm glad that I can come alongside in, in knowing Christ, making him known, and just encourage you at the same time, that perspective of how Jesus sees the world around us, the harvest around us. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven,
We are grateful to be here today. You have drawn us. You are the one who has led us here. And some of us, uh, we've been invited by friends. Oh, Lord, thank you that you are a God who pursues each one of us. And, Lord, there may be someone here even today who, who has not been able to experience your love, your, your gift of salvation. Oh, Lord, I, I pray for that, that man, that woman, that boy, that, that young girl. Lord, if, if there's a doubt in their mind of whether you love them, whether you're pursuing them, Lord, by your Spirit, would you work in them to convince them of your love? Lord, would you help them to see the, the chasm that exists between them of, of between their sin and their turning away from you and who you are? Jesus, would you fill their minds with, with the understanding of the gift of grace that you offer to them? Father, that you, when we were still sinners, that you offered the gift of salvation, that Jesus died in our place. Lord, if there be someone here today who, who needs to understand more deeply your gospel, would you be working that in their lives? Would you have them go to someone today here and ask more questions or, or even to me today? And Father, please, would you continue cultivate that, that view that Jesus had in our lives of the people, the harvest around us? Lord, we ask this because we trust that you desire this. We trust that you're able to do things